welcome to the African Intel Affairs Podcast. I'm Buki, and today I am joined by fellow co-host Palani, and we are going to be discussing the digital divide um, and how social media is impacted, social media in Africa is impacted by this um, said digital divide. So we're going to go ahead and get right into it. So I guess that, um, you know, in like a very, very larger sort of spectrum, we've been speaking about social media intelligence, you know, we've been in a program where we've been talking about it, practicing it and so on and so forth. Uh, but a lot of people don't really conceptualize Africa in the social media intelligence sort of sphere. Um, so a lot of that has to really do with the digital divide, which of course still exists. But um, I know that from my personal experience, I've been seeing a lot of people um, acquiring mobile devices, not just mobile devices, but smartphones. We're seeing uh, mobile money, which is uh, uh, really, really growing really fast and is a much more substantial payment platform than actual credit cards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when it comes to the world of open source intelligence, a lot of people are not really putting it up to the fact that um, you can successfully siphon open source information from um, from from websites or from uh, or from social media, um, there is this misconception that Africa is not online as far as social media is concerned, or that if it is, that there's just a very 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 low percentage. So, what what exactly would you have to say about the digital divide before I say what what's sort of going on in terms of the Zimbabwean sense or the South African sense or the Kenyan and the Ugandan sense? Okay, sure. Um, so I think you're right. Um, or people are generally right in their thinking where it's that um, social media is not as popular on the continent as it is in a lot of other regions. And that, you know, that can be chucked to development as a whole because, you know, you have um, so many people still um, living below certain poverty lines and quite frankly owning a smartphone is just not a priority you know and even even if you do own a smartphone um, or you do own a mobile phone then it's mostly for communication purposes and not for um, social media however you do have a significantly large amount of people especially in the more urban areas and in the cities and among the youth as well, who use um, social media. Um, and that is an incredible source of intelligence, especially um, for timely intelligence on, on the continent, because you're able to get um, that information as people are twi twi tweeting, um, they're sending out messages on Facebook, um, other platforms as well. That information is coming out in real time um, and that is something that you can absolutely tap into. However, there is that gap where you get into more rural areas um, where you might have to incorporate a different style of intelligence to get the information that you require. Okay. 
so some quite a lot has been happening especially with uh, the recent end SARS, you know this the special anti-robbery service uh, um, if i'm if i'm pronounce if, if i'm saying the acronym correctly and that was a huge hashtag on social media and again quite a lot of uh, attention and then also bring back our girls was also one of those hashtags that like really took storm and had a lot to do with Nigeria um, and then also we're walking into an era where Facebook is setting up its headquarters in Nigeria so um, apart from the intelligence aspect about what information we can find in terms of reaction because we're going to come to that with NSAS but how do you find social media is being interpreted as a media tool, as a political tool in Nigeria? Okay, um, so I think you, you definitely have a lot of media personalities from, um, you know, musicians, um, comedy artists, um, actors, actresses who are harnessing um, social media. And then you have a lot of activists as well, political activists who are using social media as a platform to communicate and reach people and really um, instill that level of um, change that they would not have been able to do otherwise. Um, and social media is huge in the in the political space because we did see um, the minister in Nigeria who came out to say that um, Twitter chose Ghana for their headquarters because um, you know of the whole NSARS incident, and we we did see um, the CEO of Twitter as well um, actively acknowledge that. Ghana was chosen, even though he didn't say um, it was chosen over Nigeria for this reason, but he just said it was chosen because of, you know, certain freedoms and certain liberties and good governance, et cetera. Um, so these are definitely active ways that social media is contributing to the political landscape um, on the continent. Okay, and then would you say that, um, would you also say that based off of that, that, that social media, apart from allowing, allowing people to mobilize or to get information publicized, doesn't that lend a lot of the people, especially if you're saying that there's more freedom of speech, it seems in Ghana, uh, more than Nigeria, according to the perspective that's printed on social media, would you say that, um, people are, are probably censoring themselves when they engage on social media in case somebody's watching what they say? Like, what is the extent? Is there a feeling that if I'm a very vocal voice on social media, that there will be a consequence back home? Um, Absolutely. Yes, no? Absolutely. Um, I think you definitely have a lot of people who do not feel like they're able to entirely express themselves on social media because there are consequences um, for certain for certain governments or in certain countries, certain regimes. Um, now we we had incidents, for example, with the with the NSARS um, protests um, where 
people who were vocal or people who were involved on social media had maybe their um, passports seized or their bank accounts frozen. These are real implications for real people who are vocal on social media. So you definitely have a lot of people who, if they feel like have a lot to lose, um, they might not be as vocal. However, um, you do also have a lot of people who are not too bothered by that and definitely see social media as their own stage, as their opportunity to express themselves regardless. And um, quite frankly, we do have um, lapses in development and in technology on the continent where the government is just not going to identify every um, negative tweet or every negative Facebook post and penalize that person. So people are definitely um, open and feeling empowered as a result of social media to vocalize their thoughts and to express their um, concerns about you know, the government or political issues. Um, however, you do have people who feel um, silenced by, by the government um, on social media platforms. Okay, so as a side note, you know, Previously, prior to this particular era when tweets mattered so much and Facebook mattered so much to an era where emails and Facebook posts and Facebook mess, private messages were, were, like, were like ruling the day. Um, Ghana and Nigeria were known as the home of the Yahoo boys, the number one uh, phishing um, location as you as you call it online. Now there's a lot of other regions which, which have a lot to do with that. But uh, for, a, for quite a long time, for I think about six or seven years, quite a lot of uh, cases where people had some phishing attacks or were getting scammed online was this um, sort of, uh, were all of these um, locations when they traced it back, it was some houses which had been set up in Nigeria and Ghana and these people were actively siphoning people off. So one might say that actually um, for Nigeria and Ghana, they've always been online for a very, very long time. Um, which brings me to a second part that, you know, with the current sphere, especially with the cryptocurrencies coming into the play and all these payment mechanisms which have to be online and the surge of activity going back online and cyber criminality. Um, would you be able to say anything about how bad that is now, especially now that there's now a lot more of a local audience in Nigeria? Are people getting scammed at home? Is there a prevalence of cyber crime? Are, are there cyber units which are actively dealing with this? Or is this a capacity that you think hasn't been thought out fully yet because everybody looks at it towards uh, Western or first world countries. Okay, so there, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I'll start Please, by saying, um, first of all, cybercrime is a lot more prevalent now um, because of access to technology, right? Um, now it's not difficult to, you know, just buy a phone or buy a laptop and um, send out a couple emails, you know, it's, it's easy 
It's not a complicated process. It's not an overly expensive process anymore um, as it was seven, eight, 10 years ago. Now, um, another reason why I would say um, cyber criminality is more popular is actually as a result of social media, right? So we have social media personalities like Hush Puppy, for example, who um, basically have been accused of um, cyber crimes and you know um, defrauding people of their money, but then leave these luxurious exotic lifestyles which they publicize on social media um, for their followers, right? And people look at that and say, well, I've been working hard for you know five, 10 years. I don't have a fraction of what this person has. I'm not living in Dubai. I'm not driving you know, a Bentley. I'm not in the Louis Vuitton store every day. So if anything, that, um, that mentality is being passed on to a lot of youth right now who are maybe unemployed or are earning minimum wage. And it's, it's being viewed almost as an opportunity for a better life. Um, now, I think the government is um, catching on to that. There are, um, you know, cybercrime units that have been set up. Um, the um, EFCC, I know, is one, for example. Um, DSS also deal with this as well. Um, and they are able to, you know, track or monitor certain um, crimes and they, they bring people um, to face the law almost on a daily basis. So the government is definitely doing their part. However, this is a pretty complex um, issue. It's not, you know, the, the most simple issue to detect and to resolve. Um, there's, there's quite a bit that goes into it. So it's, it's definitely still um, prevalent. It's probably still gonna rise, um, but the government is, in a sense, trying to do their part. Okay, so I know, yeah, I know that uh, um, I know that we've been speaking about the digital divide as far as infrastructure, access to technology, and probably in a sense, which tries to understand that um, is there coverage, is there is there also electricity enough for people to be able to be online all of the time in order for us to get to a point where we believe that um, being online is integrated into everybody's life. But there's a second particular aspect which has to do with internet shutdowns, um, which has been happening a lot more in Eastern Africa um, in terms of the numbers of countries that feature on this. You definitely have, um, you definitely have countries such as Uganda where they deliberately during election time um, say that they will be switching off social media. It's, we get notified about it. And the reasoning is that they're countering misinformation and disinformation and people trying to start up rights. Um, and on a second aspect, you've also got a country like Ethiopia where they also impl implement some, some partial internet shutdowns during normal examinations to avoid cheating, but then also during some very politically turbulent times, they do have a tendency of having some 
very, very full shutdowns, except for maybe some of the, some of the foreign or diplomatic communities. Um, you have some countries where there's some interruptions in internet service. It's not exactly shutdowns, but there's just disruptions happening to the internet. There's any number of countries which can be listed on that. Sometimes it goes undocumented. There's definitely some Central African countries which have gone without internet for more than a month, more than two months. Um, so this is something where we begin to question Africa's approach to one social media intelligence and social media is something that has a has an implication for national security um, but then also in terms of social media surveillance i don't know about you but um, from my perspective there's a lot of countries which treat social media intelligence as active social media intelligence monitoring uh, more than they actually deal with it in the sense of um, monitoring to understand when events are sort of kicking off. They usually uh, adopt this approach of monitoring where they've got people who attack for surveillance and then perhaps they follow them. Maybe those are politically you know, important persons, uh, people who are particularly vocal, public figures, etc., or else otherwise um, the social media monitoring is loosely done. In this sense, I mean, there, is n there isn't really an, an intelligence directive, to put it lightly, where, where it's like, we're looking for you to have information on this, 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 put it into context, etc. Where it may be broad to the interpretation of an analyst that, okay, and that analyst is actively having a profile and also interacting. So, you have this, this sort of half and half approach, which also involves something which you would, in the Western sphere, refer to as Russian bots, etc. You know, like uh, these these communities of people who who uh, sign on to social media to to swing the narrative on social media that there's this much support for such a such a viewpoint that when someone posts something that is detrimental to a particular a political figure that it's countered by this army of social media warriors. Um, that also happens prevalently in quite a few countries um, uh, in Africa. So in terms, of the, in terms of the African countries which you have experience with, but especially with Nigeria, what would you say the approach to social media intelligence is, especially considering the fact that Nigeria is the most populous country in Africa. So it's a little bit more difficult to be like, we're profiling all of these people. So perhaps I think some of our assumptions is that Nigeria's got a much more resolute social media intelligence regimen than other countries which uh, resort to social media targeting or surveillance. Okay, um, so I think to speak for Nigeria here, my experience um, specifically, I would say the concept of social media intelligence has not fully been grasped. Um, and I think a lot of times people use social media mostly for investigation, investigations or investigative purposes, right? Where um, you're doing a deep dive into a particular person 
um, try and find out more information about them um, and how they could have an impact or how they really fit into the narrative of whatever um, situation you're trying to analyze. Um, I don't think it is really being harnessed fully as an intelligence tool for um, you know, gathering trends or looking at trends and then predicting um, possible outcomes or scenarios. So I would say that's, that's the opinion I'm of um, when it comes to social media intelligence in Nigeria is that it's used mostly from an investigative standpoint than it is um, an intelligence tool. Um, building off of that, then uh, there's this there's the second aspect where where um, you've been in an environment where you've been serving within the private sector. But um, apart from being an open source intelligence analyst, you also had to go and do groundwork. So I take it that having such a hybrid approach to gathering information and then analyzing it has its own impact and what kind of gaps does it show you about if you do your research and you're basing it uh, mostly off of digital sources such as social media news websites etc cetera, etc cetera, you've in our own conversations described a situation where you had to supplement that with on the ground sort of inquiries and sort of you know um, being able to go and physically uh, and source some information, uh, visiting some offices, et cetera, et cetera. What kind of gaps does that paint about doing solely social media and internet-based research when you're looking at Africa? Like how, how much of a need is it to have that human intelligence aspect added onto it? And I say this because we have a lot of intelligence vendors that focus on Africa as well. And a lot of them you'll sometimes notice that some of their collection offices are actually on the ground in person. Um, so, um, and also when we say internet-based research, would you also include WhatsApp groups? Would you also include some of the closed forums that you probably have to angle to get um, um, sort of access to? Okay, so I'll start with the, with the second question about WhatsApp, Telegram, Signal, Etc. So you do have these closed groups um, that have, quite frankly, a lot of information on them and a lot of um, information being circulated, a lot of intelligence um, happening, intelligence sharing, intelligence gathering happening on those platforms. Um, now, I would say it, it depends on um, the company policy in terms of privacy and um, what extent you're willing to go. However, there are groups um, that you can engage with on these platforms um, in the different countries. You know, I know like just given a broad example here, ASIS, for example, um, will have like a chapter in each country. And if you're a member, you're able to join onto the WhatsApp group and participate in that level of intelligence sharing. Um, now that ties perfectly to the initial question of how much um, human or human intelligence, how much on the ground um, networking and collection is required or is necessary for the full picture. And um, quite frankly, I believe 
Africa is a unique space. Um, it's a unique region. And as a result, you are not able to focus solely on social media intelligence or just simply open source intelligence. You have to engage with um, people on the ground or else you're unlikely to get the full picture. Um, and I said that ties perfectly to the first point because a lot of these um, groups that you're able to become a part of um, require a physical presence. You need to be there to participate in these groups. You need to be on the continent. And um, I remember while I was working in Nigeria, there were groups I had access to that as soon as I left, I got kicked out. Um, and I would not have had access to those groups um, prior to being on the continent and obviously did not have access to those groups afterwards because that um, connection, that relationship is essential, right? And people really value that on the continent, even just from a cultural perspective, people are, um, well, I guess intelligence in itself and security is a, it's, it's a sensitive field already. So people are always skeptical, um, people are reserved, but then adding that to the cultural dynamic that you have on the continent, people need to see you. They want to see you. They want to know you. You know, you can't just be someone um, sitting in Washington, D.C., um, and, you know, they've never seen you. They've never had interaction with you. It's, it's going to be extremely difficult, right? Now, you might not need to be based on the continent, but... Um, maybe frequent trips to the continent would be advised in order to get the full picture. So human is um, absolutely essential for um, getting that, you know, that complete um, puzzle really um, when it comes to intelligence. Uh, well, let me say in, in West Africa. So I did, I did wanna ask you though, um, have you noticed any sort of regional differences, right? So if we're, if we're looking at East Africa to Southern Africa, um, West Africa, what are some differences um, that, you've, that you've picked up in these regions regarding social media intelligence and how, and how they're, they're being used or gathered? I find that, um, I find that most of the regions have different aspects. This is not to shoot down any particular region, but there's just some realities which also play into some political issues which still play out today. For example, in Nigeria, a very common public debate is that Nigeria's got all this oil, why is, why, and, and like all these energy sources, but why is there no electricity most of the time? And I think that that does have an impact on people's ability to stay constantly engaged. Now, it doesn't mean that other countries are perfect in terms of their, their sort of electricity, but also it also has to do with the location in which they are and the sort of internet cultures which come with constantly being connected. And uh, you will find that countries like Kenya, countries like um, even, even Uganda, Rwanda, South Africa, Zimbabwe too, they're very, very connected. And especially if you're in Kenya and South Africa, without even being in some very uh, inner groups, social media intelligence has a much higher value 
a lot of people are being connected. Doesn't mean that internet is cheap as such, but when it comes to South Africa, I can immediately think that social media intelligence sources, and if I'm doing something like a crisis watch, and I've just heard that there's a protest or riots starting something, I'm most likely going to hear about it on social media, whether it's someone who's planning that uh, this is going to happen, or I'm most likely going to see it on Twitter first, I'm most likely going to see it on Twitter first. And the moment the first post starts, it's just, a, it's just an aspect of looking who has anything else to say because somebody's going to post pictures to Twitter because right. people want to be visible. And the internet culture, especially when it comes to Twitter in South Africa, is very, very, very robust, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people were trying to explain why um, Twitter is being headquartered in Ghana, you know, if you were looking for Twitter's most vibrant space, you would be looking for South Africa. And for intelligence analysts who get the chance to focus on South Africa, that's more or less easy peasy. Um, I would say, yes, uh, another huge thing in Southern Africa and also in Eastern Africa is these WhatsApp groups, but I, will, I wouldn't look at them from the perspective of like these security professional groups because some of our entry points have always been understanding which communities do this, this, and this. Sometimes some movements, some political movements, some activists, sometimes they do post, join our WhatsApp group in order to follow announcements. So sometimes before the discussion takes to the Facebook or Twitter page, they've already given a very public uh, sort of group that you can join and you can follow the conversation with, where maybe like there's six people who are only allowed to post six admins who can post and you can see some of the live reactions of people who are actually involved in that then you can see the process as they're about to initiate something so now you're reporting from an aspect of people are organizing to do a b c d and so now when you're informing um, relevant corporate channels it's a different story like i'm hearing from the horse's mouth this is possible this is my source then, like you said, it depends on the company policy in terms of its privacy approach, et cetera, et cetera. If you entered that group legitimately um, and it was publicly available for people to be able to hear announcements, et cetera, et cetera, then it's as public as any forum as can be. It's not something that's hidden in secret. But I would say that in West Africa, there's very few countries which have that that sort of internet culture, which also has a drawback. I find that when you go to countries which are like um, Ghana, you're more likely to find uh, stuff on WhatsApp and those are very fragmented groupings. Those are very personal groups. Information is being shared at that level. Maybe it will make it onto Facebook, but it's more likely to hit a news website first. So you'll find that when it comes to Nigeria and Ghana, they've got these uh, news um, websites which are constantly updating um, every 10 to 15 minutes. So that is sort of the kind of ticker that you would look for. Yes, you may get something on social media, but nobody when a protest happens is out there saying, I'm here to make sure that it features on Twitter. You know, like that's not the, whereas in South Africa and Zimbabwe, in, in, in some places in Malawi, in, 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 in Kenya, in Uganda, the first thing they're thinking of is social media. They're even skipping the WhatsApp groups. 
or if they post to a WhatsApp group, someone immediately posts to Twitter that I just received this, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of understanding which source is above which source, depending on the region. So because of internet culture, um, you'll find that yes, there's a lot of um, uh, social media users in Nigeria and Ghana and in a lot of Francophone countries, but the way in which they process information that they should talk about is a very different story. Even news pundits, they won't go onto Twitter and announce something. They'll go to the news website, announce something, and then maybe share it to their WhatsApp group or copy and paste an entire news post and share it to their WhatsApp groups. And now that a lot of these news websites are having share, share signs, you're more likely to find the information on WhatsApp or the actual news website. So social media intelligence, I would say, is growing. And in my perspective, um, part of the reason why Facebook and Twitter are targeting West Africa instead of going to the places where there's already a buzz of activity is precisely to interact with the internet culture, to bring it to the fore, to make it something that's a part of the social setup because they can acknowledge that the majority of the conversations are not taking place in, in such and such a place. And they know that. And they know that when you look at the regions comparatively. Central Africa is a different sphere, um, not, not only because of the, 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 the linguistic sort of barrier that a lot of analysts face, but that's also a region that's been prone to internet shutdowns, but also where the infrastructure has been, uh, the internet infrastructure has been considerably weaker than a lot of other regions. So there you'll feel the digital divide. And this is not to say that the countries aren't necessarily developing, et cetera, et cetera. This literally has to do with the logistics of undersea cables. These are, this is where the landlocked countries are, you know, and uh, which means their internet co connectivity is determined by a variety of different aspects where it's fiber, et cetera, et cetera. So you can understand why coastal countries like Kenya, and even South Africa, why they have uh, this internet culture because they're really immediately sort of connected, you know? So um, that in itself um, has, has a huge implication in terms of how we connect and we disconnect and then in turn, how much information is available online um, for analysts to make use of, to understand political context, um, uh, events as they are happening in real time. Okay, um, so I will conclude here by disagreeing with you on a point that you made. Um, okay. So just, just a disagreement here based on personal opinion, I guess, but I would say, um, for Nigeria, I think, and you know, this this is speaking to the Western region here, um, that I, I don't agree with the point you've made about um, information coming out first on news platforms than they would on Twitter or on social media platforms. I think in my experience, you have um, if anything, tweets coming out um, much sooner than you have um, news sources actually publishing this information. And in fact, you have news sources 
that'll put out an initial tweet before um, going out to put um, out a full report on the situation. But I think um, also depending on what the, what the situation is, um, for example, a protest would you know, get you know, tweets sometimes, usually before the, the um, protest, there'll be flyers or whatever, um, tweets going around saying, okay, this, this place, this time, um, during, you might even have someone live stream the event. Um, and then afterwards, obviously, any sort of after action and then any sort of um, updates that would be published on, on a news website. Um, but if you're looking at something like a, so in, in that first, first scenario, the, the news report from a news agency would come out after tweets, but, but much sooner. Um, not long after tweets have come out. However, I did realize that with, with more isolated incidents, like um, if there was a Boko Haram attack in a more rural part of um, Bama, for example, you would have a tweet come out um, because we do have military personnel who tweet um, based on different things or they, they have contacts with journalists who will tweet um, that, you know, this was, this was the... Um, Occurrence. This was the amount of casualties. Um, you know, this was the location of the attack. But then you will not see a news report on that incident till maybe twelve, maybe twenty-four, maybe even forty-eight hours after the incident has actually occurred. And so, in in that space, I definitely think Twitter is a lot faster for people now. Um, in Nigeria as a, as a um, means of getting information than you know, um, getting it from a news source. However, I just don't think that security forces and intelligence um, officials have tapped into that as much as they can or should have. So, but um, we can't agree on everything, that's okay. Um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the fun part. In conclusion, while we have talked a lot about um, the more traditional platforms like Twitter and Facebook, WhatsApp, um, it is important to note that there are some upcoming um, social media platforms as well that could be used significantly to the advantage of intelligence collection um, on the continent. Um, platforms like Clubhouse and TikTok could actually provide a significant advantage um, because you have a lot of conversations that are happening there and a lot of um, users on those platforms. And so in order to really bridge the di digital divide in Africa, um, Intel analysts and Intel um, collectors need to really focus on really um, keeping up with the trends uh, keeping up with what platforms are being used, how they're being used, um, how they could serve as a source of um, intelligence, and then keying into these platforms to be able to provide the most um, up-to-date, the most holistic sort of information that we can gather on the continent. So thank you for joining me today, Lani. Thanks for this uh, great conversation and um, looking forward to the next episode.